everyone. Welcome to Know Your Gear QA number 107. Unfortunately, uh, I can't uh, talk until the stream starts now because for some reason, uh, YouTube doesn't let you mute uh, a stream until it starts. So uh, unless there's a workaround, somebody knows on that. That's how that's got to work. So for a second, you're just going to see me staring at you guys before I start talking. How's everybody doing? Welcome to Friday. It's Friday. It seems like this week was fast. It was like we were just, I feel like I was just talking to you last Friday. Uh, so hopefully you guys had an amazing week. Uh, obviously with my that uh, statement means my week went by really fast, which was means busy. It was very busy. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to thank everyone on Patreon for doing the Hangout this week. It was uh, We tested some stuff on the Patreon Hangout, and uh, you guys were so patient and awesome. Uh, it, was a, it was a great Hangout, but I know it got to a rocky start because of the, the technology issues with the new Hangouts and how Google and Chrome was working together. So anyways, thank you everyone for, uh, thank you everyone for hanging out with me. That's what I'm trying to say get tongue-tied on that uh let's get started let's start with questions i got some stuff to talk about some highlighted stuff but questions are already forming first thing i'd like to do is mention some questions last week that did, that that got missed uh bruce uh, asked which acoustic has your favorite neck profile um you know i i think my favorite neck profile is probably the taylor uh guitars or the breed loves i don't notice a huge difference between them over the martins to be honest with you, when I pick up a Martin, I don't really notice like that's a difference. Um, I think generally acoustics uh, have a same kind of feel to the neck for the most part. I don't notice the variance getting so extreme like it does with electric guitars. But those are my favorite. I, my favorite guitar to play is my uh, Breedlove. And actually, I'll tell you right now, the three acoustics that I play a lot that I love is my Taylor 214. I play that one a, a lot. I play the Breedlove that you saw I, I did with the... Uh, uh, Tonewood amp video, and I play a uh, Arts and Luther acoustic that I absolutely adore. And uh, next was from John, and he says, "Hey Phil, love the work. I've learned a lot." He just wanted to say thank you, and that was at the last of last week's stream. And John Williams, I just wanted to say thank you uh, for kind of saying thank you. <laughs> it's a lot of people saying thank you back and each back and forth at each other. So let's get into this week. This week we already got some questions. Greg had a question. He says, "Phil." Do your guitars get exposed to sunlight? Are modern guitars more tolerant of sunlight? Well, you know, it's a very interesting thing that you're saying because uh, I can tell you one of the things I had the trouble with with my store was I really did not want to personally work in an environment where I couldn't see the sunlight. One of the nice things about living in Arizona, which there's a few nice things and a lot of not nice things, but one of the nice things is we have beautiful skies. I mean, it's a really sunny place, right? It doesn't rain, but you know, five or six times a year, it feels like it's probably more like a dozen, but you could imagine that's just nothing. 12 cloudy days a year, one day a month minimum. So that being said, uh, I didn't want to close the store. So I left the windows all uh, kind of bright and open. And that was a problem. So, you know, because you could damage guitars that way. So it was really tough. We had to put special film on the glass. It was very expensive. So it looked like it, uh, it had uh, looked like it was clear glass at the store, but it was UV protected. So my answer to you is, believe it or not, this room is also UV protected on the window. Uh, that's extreme if you want to do that. If, when you see you buy glass case, uh, whether they're plexi or real glass case display cases, a lot of times they'll say UV protected. Um, yes, the answer to your question is sunlight does have, it doesn't matter if the guitar is new or not. All guitars are no different than paint is no different than paint. So if you have a polyurethane guitar, a more modern guitar, that doesn't matter. Cars are susceptible to it. Paint 
oxidizes in sunlight and uh and where i live is very sunny so yes if you're going to let your guitars be by the sunlight by windows uh they're gonna fade or change or get damaged also so you know pick guards also kind of warp in sunlight um usually you need heat for that to happen too but sunlight sometimes brings the the heat so uh the question is uh yes do uh do does it have an effect it does our new guitars uh better they are but they're still susceptible so there's no real uh there's a minor improvement there versus like the lacquer guitars, which would be getting affected by it. And uh, to answer your question, no, my guitars are not exposed to sunlight. In fact, um, the other thing is that's another reason why you see guitars in rotation. In other words, you see guitars hanging on the wall here and then they go back in the gig bags and in the closet. Uh, for that reason, some of the finishes I care about, definitely uh, my vintage Ibanez's, uh, I dare say vintage. Uh, but uh, today when I went to lunch, uh, we stopped at the guitar store and I saw somebody say, I saw a vintage tag in a guitar from 1987. So if it's vintage, I actually have a vintage Ibanez then. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, the, those Ibanezes, those paint jobs, those neon colors, neon really fades badly. So that's the, uh, that's the answer. I hope that's what you're looking for on that question. The next question I pinned, which is great, was, was from Pepe Le Pew. Uh, like the skunk, right? The chase, the, the first, the Pepe Le Pew is probably the first uh, cartoon where we thought it was innocent, but now looking back, I bet you, bet you the new generation looks at that co uh, cartoon as really bad, inappropriate conduct. Uh, <laughs> so, anyways, I'm not laughing at the conduct; I'm just laughing how the world changes. Anyways, uh, which amps uh, do I uh, wait? Which amps that I like uh, that I think would would you say are easier to maintain in uh, replacing broken parts in the circuit, etc.? Okay, I get where you're going with this. And is it more about quality regardless of whether or not? So the answer to your question, so that I'm going to get to the core of what I think he's at, uh, what he's asking. Which amps do I like that are easier to maintain? Um, I think the Fender amps are pretty easy to maintain as a whole. Um, that's my personal experience um, uh, in the tube amp, at least, realm, um, is that they are a little easier to get to access, a little easier to get parts for. Uh, generally speaking, that's just what I, what I've experienced with the amplifiers, but to get really to the crux of the second part of your question is yes, do quality guitar, our amps do quality is, is it a, regardless, is it regardless quality? Uh, and, uh, yeah, better quality stuff is, is better. And I know where you're going, you're going, you, you actually went on to say about PC boards and, and turret boards. In other words, hand wired versus, uh, PC boards, you know, I don't really get into that argument um, because I don't have any kind of experience to, to kind of speak of, you know, uh, something I can tell you when it always comes to the PC board hand wired is a perfect example right behind me. For those of you guys wa watching uh, on the podcast, I'm going to be pointing at my Dr. Z hand wired amp and now at my Fender Princeton, which is not hand wired. It's a PC board amp. I love those amps equally. Uh, I really do. My Princeton is my favorite amp and the Dr. Z is becoming easily my second favorite. And those two amps to me are equal in the way that I appreciate them and enjoy them. But obviously this is a mass produced PC board versus hand wired. I don't really notice. It's not that I notice a difference. It's just the difference is, is not it's not something I connect that way. I just like the amps. So better quality amps definitely last longer. Fender amps, I think, are a little easier to fix than some amps. But, and, and that's coming out as a non-amp technician guy, because when I work on my own amps, I'd rather work on my Fenders than others. Uh, like, I don't want to crack open a Mesa Boogie. It's a nightmare. <laughs> that's, that's my experience the first 
couple times I cracked open a Mesa Boogie to fix an issue was it was pretty uh not fun. Uh, Matt Well says, "Hey Phil, have you tried the Doctor Z uh, Carmen uh, Carmen?" Is it Gia? Carmen Gia? I haven't, man. This is the first Dr. Z I've ever really plugged in and tried. Um, there was a bunch of Dr. Z amps I looked on online. And one of the things that I got a little concerned with with the Dr. Z amps was a lot of them were two knobs or three knobs. And my personal thing when I when I mess with amps is sometimes I get freaked out when an amp has two knobs. Usually that amp means it's got to be loud to be good. <laughs> and I might be totally wrong. I kind of just based that off of, you know, a visual assessment of, of you know, of, of precursor amps a bit mess with this maze, uh, Maz, sorry, MAZ, uh, 38 had a reverb, which I liked and it had a master volume and something I could crank the, you know, the preamp volume on. And I, I kind of enjoyed it, but, but based on this, I can see why a lot of people like Dr. Z, but I definitely think Dr. Z is a very specific sound. Uh, and from everything I've messed with, with the Dr. Z's, like, I don't, I I've had people tell me that they're not great, uh, you know, uh, pedal platform amps or what have you. I haven't experienced that problem with the amp. I just think it has a sound and I like the sound, but it's not is, you know, it's not a generic sound. It's definitely a sound you got to want to have. Um, let's see. And the next he says, I've heard it's great, but only volume and tone. Oh yeah. We'll see. I, I spoke too soon. And made me hesitant. It made it. See, Matt, you're the same as me. I saw the same thing, man. I saw volume and tone. And and uh, when I heard the amp, I thought, that sounds fantastic. But that just sounds to me like you're just cranking that thing. Um, I couldn't find one to try in person either. I, there's just nowhere to see a Dr. Z. I, I happened to walk in, play that one at the local guitar center. It was used. I liked it. And I bought it. And, uh, and uh, I probably, I think I got it this either the day they got it or within a day or two when they got it, because, uh, it, it, I had to wait out the entire pond hold, uh, for it. So, uh, Raymond wants to know, he went to a G Raymond wants us to know he went to a guitar center and played every model of strat and didn't like any, uh, as much as a telly something wrong with him. Okay. Well, I'll answer that together in a second. <laughs> uh, he liked the Smith strat, but, uh, $900 you seems high. Thanks. Okay. So, um, no, man, uh, that's, uh, that's, that, that falls into line with, um, you know, there's some people that are, there's some players that are Gibson players. There's some players that are Fender players. I think that's normal. Uh, my buddy Joe is a huge Les Paul fan and does not like strats. I love strats and I like Les Pauls. Now, that being said, some when you go to the Fender side, some are Tele players and, fin, and Strat players. I've been a Strat player my whole life and slowly turning into a Tele player. And that's something I notice is normal. Uh, and I'm not in the idea that it happens a lot. I see a lot of Strat guys that become Tele guys. You very rarely see Tele guys that become Strat guys, though. That's what I'm noticing. I don't see people who go, I've played a Tele for 20 years and now I'm going Strat. Um, so I'm curious if you guys had the opposite experience, there's always going to be those opposites of that, but that's been my, my kind of observation is that most of a switch. So I don't think it's weird that you like tellies and not strats. I think that's normal. Um, you know, the, cra the crazy question really is, is the strat cause the strat is more popular than the telly, but by, by Fender's statement of sales, by the way, just by sales, Fender sells more strats and tellies. The real question is, is the Strat more popular than the Tele as sales-wise? Because when you think of players of Fender players, great Fender artists, artists that really put Fender on the map, the list of Strat players is longer than the Tele players. It's not better, but it's longer. So is Strat the predominant seller of the two because more players played Strats? 
I argue that could be a part of it. <laughs> so, uh, but I would not be shocked at one point in my life if I'm all just tellies. I'm just learning to like them more and more. Even uh, something coming up. I have a guitar coming up. Some of you guys got uh, some of the information I, I leaked it last week. That was really special at the end of the broadcast last week. If you guys, I wanted to do something fun for you guys live last week. I don't know if you not noticed what I did. I showed everyone live something cool and then i took it away so when the rebroadcast is everybody who saw the rebroadcast missed the last uh i think it was a minute and 30 seconds or two minutes and 30 seconds of that broadcast so i thought that was uh interesting um and uh you'll see that video next week for everyone else that missed it last week uh oh man you guys are really sending the questions now <laughs> uh Dustin Lake just said, hey, it's the best gear channel out there. Keep it up. Thank you, man. That's awesome to hear. Uh, I like to, I, I would settle to be one of the best gear channels out there uh, is always the best, is a great compliment. But, uh, you know, that compliments even one over the moon kind of thing. Uh, it's nice, man. It's a it's a really crazy thing to to think that all you guys hang out with me every Friday and we get to talk guitars. Um, it's uh, it's awesome, man. It's It's literally... It's uh, it literally, hopefully it makes your weekend uh, half as much as it makes mine. So, all right. Uh, I'm going to, I know you guys did some super chats and I always answer all the super chats, but let's get to some of the non-super questions because there's a lot of you guys sending out some good stuff. Uh, okay, hold on a second. <laughs> hold on. Um... Okay, hold on. Oh, okay. Edu2 says, is that a new Dane Electro in the background? Yes, it is. Uh, Dan Electro, I just want to, this is a good time to mention this. Steve, the owner of Dan Electro, has been super, super cool to me. As you guys know, you see Dan Electro or Dan Electro, you see it quite often on YouTube channels. Uh, they're a company that understands social media. They they understand the communities that live within social media. That's, that's a really important thing that I'm saying. Please understand the verbiage in which I'm using right now. They understand social media, not they utilize social media. There's a difference between a company who says, hey, if I stick my stuff in, in, a, in a YouTuber's hand, then people who watch YouTubers see it. That's different than wanting to be part of a community because they recognize a guitar community. Uh, Dan Electro is a company, I believe, that, that, that sees that. And Dan Electro, which is, and the reason I say that is, uh, Dan Electro um, understands YouTubers in the way that they, they know what makes them tick. Um, and this is just, I thought it was worth giving them an accolade since you mentioned this. This is a 12 string of guitar. It's here because you guys heard me mention a couple of videos about, ago, maybe a couple months ago, even, uh, maybe five months ago, I said, Hey, I was thinking about getting a 12 string and doing a demo. And they sent that to me, Dan Electro. This is what's cool about them. They send me stuff. They send me guitars and pedals and sees what sticks because they get that that's how I work. And what I mean by that is some YouTubers are pretty straightforward. You contact them, you say, hey, you want to demo this product? And they say, yes. Sorry, guys. Should have shut off my phone. And uh, and some YouTubers like me, it's really, I only can get excited about what I get excited about. So Dan Electro will send me stuff. And sometimes you guys will never see it because I didn't get excited about it and it goes back. And sometimes you see it briefly and maybe I kind of got excited about it a little bit. So it was really cool, man. So that's something they sent me and I'm checking it out right now. Unfortunately, I can't tell you what I think of it yet because it's just too soon and too new. Um, I will tell you on a side note for fun, 
uh, I went to lunch today with Lawrence. It's the first time I've seen Lawrence since the NAMM show, Lawrence Petros from LPD Pedals. And after the show, we went to the Guitar Center because it was right in that shopping center. And I bought myself a used down electro guitar today. I'm very excited about. Uh, and I'll tell you, even though I can't show it to you because unfortunately it was used and it's on pond clearance for uh, like 20 days. I bought a 59 NOS. If you guys noticed in the past, I have a red 59 NOS, but I bought another one and I'll show you why I got this one and what's exciting about that. I'm very excited about the guitar. So, <laughs> hey, Lawrence just said, woo woo. Yeah, he was with me. He saw, I got really excited about that guitar. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, Let's do a couple of super super chats. Hold on, let's go switch over back to those real quick because they'll stack up too. It's all about jumping around and seeing what we can do. Okay, shut up. Let's talk. Says my Ibanez next uh, shrank, and now it's the now the first string is too close to the fingerboard edge. Uh, it's a floating trend from help. Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, that's the first time I've heard that particular issue with a guitar. I've never heard of a neck shrinking so much that now the first string physically is too close to the edge. The problem is, is, is I've never seen or been able to on my own expand a fretboard back out. Once a fretboard shrinks, they just can, they continue to shrink. I have heard that you can somehow add moisture and it kind of expand them back out. But my concern would be that, uh, you wouldn't want to as wood dries, you want it to continually dry. Sadly, because you're saying it's a floating trim, which means it has a locking nut, it needs different string spacing. So I'd have to know which model and which locking nut to see which string uh, string spacing you have. Maybe that might be the fix. Um, yeah, that's tough. I, I'm almost gonna say, I mean, remember this is all verbal. I can't see anything. We don't. We're not looking at it. It's, it's just going off of your situation based on situations I've dealt with in the past. There's probably, see, Floyd's are really just uh, not really easy to adjust in that way, sideways, right? Uh, back and forth for intonation, yes, but side to side, no. I'm going to say, I'm going to say without looking at it and having any more, uh, I'm going to say you need to do some research to find out what nut, uh, what locking nut you have to see if you can go with a more narrow one that bring that string in. Otherwise, maybe look at adjusting that I just don't know how you're going to cut into the nut. There's no way really that I've ever seen that you can adjust them without hoping that you have the wider space nut. If that's not the case, in other words, if you can't go ahead and uh, go with the narrow space nut and bring that in a little bit from the edge of the fretboard, uh, it might be a guitar you're just going to have to sell off because that's not really defective. Some players might not notice or care about that issue. So something to think about that way. But yeah, uh, but I, the only thing I can tell you is the odds of you being able to hopefully see that fretboard expand back out is going to be almost next to never. So, and, but some of you guys have different experiences than me. If you guys have a different experience that might be helpful, please, please put that in the comments. It always, always can help. One thing that's nice about, uh, in my situation is if you have issues with things drying out, I definitely versed in that because I live in a desert. Some of you guys that live in really wet climates, I'm not as versed in because it's not a situation I have to deal with. The only situations I deal with with wet climates is when people move here from wet climates mm -hmm. and uh, you see a lot of issues that way. Okay. Um, uh v vapor guitars vapor guitar says have i been to fennel guitars i have not fennel guitars is here in the valley it's right where i live they're 30 minutes from my home 
I have not been there. They stopped me a year or two ago at the NAMM show and said I should stop by. I followed up with them with an email and I never heard back. Maybe I should follow up again. Uh, they seemed interested. I, I was interested. Is that something you guys would be interested in? If I can make that happen, I would definitely be willing to reach out again and see if they were we be willing to let me check out the shop. Um, I would I would like to do that. Put in the comments down below uh, when the you know video rebroadcast that you'd like to see Fano guitars. If I see some some things, I'll reach out. I'd have to add it to my schedule, but I think I could do that right now. I got uh, my schedule's pretty pretty tight, but there's always room for more guitar stuff. That's for sure. Uh, what else? There was somebody's comment was I know a lot. I got a lot of emails this week. We'll go on a side tangent here. I got a lot of emails and I'm seeing a lot of comments now uh, about copyright strikes, right? That seems to be a hot topic this week. Always nice to be topical. Uh, I saw Glenn Fricker's video about his Warner Brothers copyright strike. Um, and uh, and somebody said Rick Beato talked about copyright strikes. Copyright strikes are a problem. They're always going to be a problem. Uh, you know, the only thing I can tell you is, is um, my worry isn't so much about the copyright strikes right now with the audio because that's uh, a computer can hear the audio. And uh, so if you guys don't know what we're talking about, let me get me verse real quick. Basically, uh, when you use anybody's copyrighted audio material right now on YouTube, uh, the bots can hear it and detect it and, uh, oh, and then companies are notified. And that's not always the case, but I can tell you from my experience on my side, when people use parts of my content, YouTube tells me there's a section in my studio that says these are the current videos out there that have been duplicated from my videos or my videos are part in them. And it says, what would you like to do? And I can actually send out a notification and say, hey, please remove the video. Or I could tell YouTube to, that I want the video removed. I would imagine that that is the same for uh, larger entities. Plus, you know what I mean? I'm sure they get a lot more than I, what I get. Um, and uh, I can tell you, obviously, when I uploaded the video of Phil X, me and uh, Robert Baker, and uh, was it Henning? I can't remember. No, well, Henning was the next song. So it was Robert Baker, Phil X, and me uh, played at GitCon. We played Scorpions, Rock You Like a Hurricane. Half of the money of that video had to go to the artist, uh, which I assume is Scorpions or whoever owns the publishing to that song. As soon as I put the video up, YouTube says, hey, you don't owe this, own this song, and uh, they got to give up half. That's different than a copyright strike. And a full takedown, by the way, but it's where they take half the proceeds. So right now on YouTube, if you do something, they can take half the proceeds. I get this comment a lot when I play songs. You notice my clips are really short. If I make, if I do play a cover of a song, I keep the clip very short. But mostly, what you're really noticing as the evolution of my channel is, I never play copyrighted songs anymore. The riffs are always like a song, or are inspired by a song. Is probably even better, and or my original riffs. And in fact, that's becoming a problem. I have to write more original riffs. Uh, somebody asked me personally, as a friend, a couple weeks ago, do I write original music? And I go, man, I, I've been writing more original music than probably anyone. It just feels doesn't feel like it because it's little pieces in each video. Because of that reason, I don't want to get copyright striked and taken down. It's really horrible. But as bad as that situation is, I think the bigger problem is going to be when eventually they have bots that can do visual copyright inspection. In other words, when they can see what's in the videos and then who knows what they'll take down. Will Marshall flag me because I have a Marshall logo here? It's always possible. There's always stuff like that. I hate to hear that YouTubers are getting their stuff flagged and copyrighted. Um, and, you know, but I, I'm I'm a different mentality of a of a person uh when something like that happens 
my first instinct is how do I get around it? Not how do I fight it? Uh, is I think that's very entrepreneurial. Like, like, uh, you know, it's like, okay, look, if Warner Bros. is going to take me down every time I put something Warner Bros. up, well, how do I do it and not get the copyright strike? So I, I think that's the way I kind of look at it. But it's a lot easier for me being a gear channel than a music channel like those guys because uh, I don't have to talk about the music. So, yeah, I, I like I said, I saw it. I'd like to know your guys' thoughts on it. Obviously, I think most people are going to come to the same conclusion that as much as we want copyrighted, uh, you know, copyrighted pe people with copyrights to be protected, we it shouldn't be misrepresented. It shouldn't be misrep. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that it shouldn't be misused, uh, like it was with Glenn Fricker, where uh, they just didn't want to hear his opinions. So, there you go. All right, and also reiterates the thing I've been telling you, which is I can tell you I will never tell you who because it's just I, I, you know you don't kiss and tell. But plus, I always look at the the future as being evolving. The future is not set, so I can always have good relationships with companies. But, uh, but anyways, what I was going to say was, uh, you know, I've had more than a uh, let's say a dozen companies not happy with my reviews and flat out tell me that and ask me to take content down or threaten me a little bit. I've worked with it so far. Companies just like to control what people say and think about them. That's why companies are, you know, the, 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 the term is evil corporations, right? Didn't, didn't, didn't come from nowhere. It's because people think that. Uh, yeah, a lot of you guys are talking about the copyright issue. Should, you know, uh, C. Burgess says the, this copyright issue could eventually mess things up big time. It could. Sure. Of course. You got to you gotta keep it. That's why I said you're going to have to, we have to adapt. That's what, you, that's what you can do. You can adapt. You can still fight it, but in the meantime, you have to adapt. So, uh, Rex Navarro says, Hey, Phil, what was my first electric guitar? We're changing subjects. Uh, mine was the first electric guitar was a JB player strat copy. That was horrible. <laughs> it was absolutely horrible. So, uh, okay. And, Let's see. Hold on. Um, Salman said, just to, says it's not a copyright issue. Okay. I, I Maybe I misunderstand what the questions were. Like I said, I'm going off the questions that were sent to me via email. People asked me if I saw these videos where they were talking about copyright violations, copyright strikes. So, um, I can tell you this. Like I said, I, all I can tell you is this on copyrights. If somebody takes one of my videos and re ups it on the internet, YouTube always finds it. And then all I do is I, I just push a little button on my screen and then that video is taken down except for, believe it or not, I, uh, I, I have some, you guys, some of you guys are cool out there that do stuff. That's really interesting. Some of you guys re-upload my videos in different languages. Uh, somebody did it in Russian and, uh, I'm not sure what there's a couple other languages. And so even though I don't get the revenues from those videos now, because they re-upload them on their channel, they're not linking to my channel. Uh, I let it happen. I let them keep the revenues and stuff because I think it's cool that they're offering a service that I can't offer. I can't put my videos in a different language, or at least that's not financially feasible for me to do so. And so, uh, I had a really cool guy a couple years ago say, Hey, can I take some of your videos and re-upload them with different and, and overdub a different language on them? And I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, of course. Thank you. So, okay. Uh, yeah, somebody says, Jack the Ripper, know your copyrights. Absolutely. Uh, uh, 
Oh, here's the funny part. Big idea says, what made you want to pick up the guitar after the bass? I didn't. I, I, I picked up bass after the guitar. So I became a guitar player. I went to guitar lessons and I did guitar and then I joined a band and I was in a band, uh, as a guitar player. That was, uh, this is many, many, many moons ago. And then my band made it to a battle of bands and battle of bands had finals. And we finally got to like the third round or the second round, pretty close. It was pretty exciting for us. And the band, uh, a band that uh, we played that night that won and beat us. I love that band. I it was one of those moments where the band beats you and instead of being upset, you're like, yep, I would have voted for him too. <laughs> and a uh, couple weeks later, maybe a month later, I was at a guitar store and I saw an ad and that band needed a bass player. So I went down, sold a guitar, sold an amp, bought a bass and a bass amp and went and auditioned and became a bass player. And then what happened was I played bass in that band for a while. And when I joined the army, I sold all my stuff, uh, all of it. And I kept one bass. And uh, anyway, so when I started playing music again, because, you know, you know, after you get to your training and stuff, you know, and you get stationed, you, you can get your stuff. Uh, I didn't have a guitar, so I just kept playing bass. That's how it worked until I want to say it felt like 10 years. It was a long time. It was probably five years for five years. I didn't play guitar at all. Just bass. Didn't even own a guitar. So. Uh, let's see. Okay, uh, what else do we got? Oh, you know what? We got some pin questions too. Let me hold on a second. Let me go back to that. Shaman Blues just did a, a, a super chat for no reason. Hey, Shaman, thank you. Thank you for hanging out at the patron hangout as well. And uh, the uh, Neil A says, Hey, Phil, here in Australia, looking at a 2012 Gibson Studio Deluxe 2 Silver Burst, and it has a 10 dB boost button. A1 condition, studio used, only a US dollars, $1,000, your opinion on the year models and cheers. I'm going to say good deal. You know what? I think a couple weeks ago, I would have said, wow, $1,000 for a studio. That sounds uh, pretty harsh, but I just bought a studio deluxe. I think that's what it's called. Um, it's a 2018 and I paid 11 for it. And what's funny was reason why I bought that one was I picked it up in the store and I was playing it and I was like, I saw a 1098, I think is what I paid. And I was thinking that seems really high for a studio. Don't they go that for new? And then I looked online and that model was like 14, $1,500 everywhere. And I was like, Oh, well, I really liked it. I just thought it was priced high. And then I found out, no, it was actually priced low. So I got it. Uh, I love silver burst. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of the 10, uh, 10 dB boost button, but you know, Hey, you don't have to use it or maybe you'll love it. Um, so yeah, to my, uh, especially in Australia, I think in a thousand us dollars for a Gibson where you're at seems cheap, right? Cause don't you guys get hammered? I always watch, uh, Shane and the blues and those guys, they always seem to talk about how the prices are pretty overinflated in Australia. So I'm going to say even in the U S that sounds like a good deal. So definitely go for it. Uh, James Shackelford said, tellies tend to be harder to master your tone than a Strat. Uh, example, uh, there are more people <laughs> laying pride and joy, uh, than I'm evil by Roy uh, Buchanan. You know, uh, James, that is uh, absolutely a great assessment. I, I found to be, that is, you know, I find a telly is in your face where a Strat is more anonymous. I agree with you hundred percent. If you're in a band with a Strat strumming, you know, you're not going to be sticking out, but the, yeah, the tellies, the mistakes stick out, uh, you know, so, you know, bass works the same way. A P bass is a little bit more subdued and hidden. The jazz bass is more in your face. Uh, 
I, I agree a hundred percent. I, I think, yes, uh, to me, like when I saw, I can tell you this, when I see a, 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 a telly player playing through a plexi or a Marshall, a vintage style Marshall, and it sounds great and they play great. My first instinct and response in my head is, man, that guy must be really good <laughs> because I'm thinking that's the combination A telly through a, a, an old, uh, Marshall has that dry, crunchy tone. That's a guy where every mistake is going to stick out. And, and so there's just, there can't be any flaws in that game, right? That, that's a person who's, who's got their stuff on, uh, dialed in. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I agree with you hundred <laughs> percent. Those are right. Hold marshals and tellies. That's an unforgiving rig. Uh, that sounds great, but, uh, could easily go, go, go wrong. David Kelly says, how difficult is it to add binding to a Stratocaster neck? Um, well, the, the, the process that would have to happen is you'd have to remove the frets. Then you'd have to have somebody router, uh, the, the, the channel for the binding, then add the binding. I've seen a lot of places do it. Uh, it's not any harder than if the neck, you know, cause you're taking the neck off. It's not like a guitar, you know, that they got to work with a guitar that's already assembled. It's not hard at all. I think a qualified luthier could do it. I know Tim at Atomic Guitars has done something like that before. I've watched him do it or seen him do something like that. Add the binding afterwards. Um, Expense-wise, I will tell you this, uh, David. You should uh, check this out because if you're thinking about doing that, especially to like American Stratocaster neck, just be aware that you can buy a channel-bound uh, Stratocaster neck aftermarket from Fender with a serial number for about the price of what it's going to probably cost you to have a refret and a binding put onto a guitar. So I guess the easiest answer is you can do it. It's totally cool, but I think you could buy it aftermarket legitimately from Fender. And if you don't know what channel bound is, is that's where Fender takes and they take a maple neck and they router out uh, like a, a, ch a channel and they, they, they take out the meat of the maple neck and drop in maple or rosewood. And then the looks like it's bound in maple, but it's not. It's really cool. I'll put a link in the description to the neck. I saw them aftermarket. And I think the last time I saw the price, which seems high, it's not. Because I think a refret and 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 uh, binding is going to be easily with man hours, time, and parts as much as that. Or very least, if it is a little bit less, it's only going to be a little bit less and it could be more. So something to think about there. I think you have aftermarket options. And of course, there's Warmoth and all those places too. I'm just going to say sometimes it's easier to order a neck specced out that way than it is to add it to it. But if you got some kind of sentimental thing or if that's something you want, the answer to your question is it can be done. I've seen it done. Uh, TJ Kelly says, hey, Phil from uh, Melbourne. Thank you. Uh, and it says, uh, I'm really liking the Fender Aerodyne jazz bass. And I was wondering what your thoughts on it really consider purchasing one. Thanks. I, I always liked the Aerodyne bass by Fender. Um, I remember back when they had the colors, they had red and blue and now they just had uh, white and now and black. And I think now they only offer it in black, but, but usually you see them made in Japan, uh, in Japan and you bought, you see them on eBay for sale. They make an Aerodyne 32nd scale, medium scale base, which as you know, I play mostly medium scale. So be aware that that's out there, of course. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> hold on, try not to get sidetracked. Uh, and, uh, so yes, the answer is I, I like the base. The neck feels great. I don't see where you could go wrong. It plays great. It looks great. Um, maybe the ones now available are made in Korea. Definitely cool. Um, I've set up a few. I never owned one. I think, I'm trying to think if I've ever played one for longer than just maybe like 20 minutes at a time, but I don't think I have, but everyone I've picked up, I've probably set up two or three over the years and, uh, and, uh, 
one time I think we had one for sale in the store. That was pretty cool. Definitely cool base. Uh, sorry, SG Flying V says, Phil, have you watched the Billy Corgan roller coaster meme? Yeah, I showed it to my wife. She she laughed. It's probably the hardest I've seen her laugh. She just couldn't stop laughing. I'll put a link to that video for you guys when when this rebroadcast. Uh, very it was hilarious, right? I loved it so much. Uh um, uh, big idea 100 says do you still own the silver dana scoop no i sold that one i ended up keeping the red one so i only own the red one uh the next question is do i regret selling the dana scoop silver uh yeah in the idea that i think i've probably sold it for less than i could get for it now so i i don't know but i, I don't play it that's what happened i i just i don't play it still love my red one love the silver one but you know i sold it sometimes you, you know, can't have every you can't keep everything <laughs> it's the that's the problem uh, somebody said something funny this week to me. It's just funny. He's like, how many guitars do you need? And how many guitars should you have? Or something like that it was something like that. And the answer was, well, how many guitars can you physically fit in a house? And I was like, oh, well, that's good. Maybe that's good. Um, Andrew, uh, DiMartino says, how can you tell how big of a neck shim do you need? Uh, well, here's the thing. Generally, when you're doing neck shims, you almost need nothing. Uh, I, I said this before we did this a couple weeks ago too. I think a piece of sandpaper is what I usually use. I don't buy like, like Stu Mac makes neck shims. Everybody's making neck shims now. It seems really weird to me. I'm sure they're cool. Maybe I should check them out. I really kind of, kind I hate, uh, you know, I don't, I don't like it when anybody kind of like bah humbug something they haven't tried. I haven't tried one. So I kind of feel silly saying I don't like it, but it seems it's one of those things I look at that and I go, well, there's nothing wrong with the old way, which is sticking, you know, a piece of sandpaper in the neck shim. Um, I can tell you this. Most of the time you're shimming a neck, a, a seriously, a piece of paper is more than enough to, 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 to correct the problem. So you don't need very much. Start with the thinnest piece of anything you can, you can get and go from there. It, it, it will always shock you how very little it took to adjust a neck angle. Ah, you know, ER Webster, I have used that as well. He says wood veneer makes great, good shims. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, if you have it, sometimes you have uh, wood veneer because it's paper thin wood. That works fantastic. Um, uh, my problem is I don't always have it. But when I do have a piece of that, I'll use that as well. Anything that's really just thin, you know what I mean, and, and you use a small piece of it. Uh, James Cruz says, won't the binding narrow the neck a little bit more? Uh, it can, it depends on how you do it, but, but what's supposed to happen is when you put the binding, the binding is replacing the, the width, right? So you're not going to cut in the, the neck and then add binding and then, you know, it'd be narrower. The binding should take up the, the difference. In other words, the neck should be the same just with binding, just like a normal neck, right? A, a neck with binding is not narrower than a neck without binding. It should be the same. So... <laughs> um, Hutch from BA says, ask the Tone King how many guitars he has. I know how many guitars the Tone King has. I've been in his house. <laughs> uh, I'm never going to tell because I don't think he tells. I don't know if he's okay. He should try to tell. I will tell you this, though. He wins. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, at least until I see somebody different, he's the winner. I've, I've been to a, you know, I've been to a lot of collectors' houses, and that's you know, he's, he's up there. Um, let's see. Um, okay. Hold on a second. 
Oh, uh, John Arnett wants to know, isn't it, this is a good question. It says, do I own a classical guitar? If so, how often do I play it? Uh, the older I get, the more I play. I do. I have an Amy. It's the model number by um, Arts and Luthery. And it's a small body classical guitar. I have that one. And I have a Godin. I don't know if it's called an A6, but it's a classical version, uh, A6 type guitar. I mostly play the Amy. Uh, how often do I play the classical guitar? All the time. I mostly, <laughs> I won't say mostly play acoustics. I play my acoustics a lot. My acoustics get as much time as my electrics get, for sure, without a, without a doubt. Because uh, you don't always get the time to plug in. To me, it's a, it's like, to me, playing guitar, it's not always about sitting down and being able to play for two hours straight. Okay, I tend to always play at least an hour in the morning, an hour at night, sometimes two hours in the morning, two hours at night. But throughout the day, regardless of YouTube and whatever I'm doing, I, I generally get to pick up the guitar whenever I can and play, even if it's for 10 minutes. So sometimes an acoustic is just a fast way to pick up guitar and sit there and play. You know what I do? I have that's why I have guitar strategically through my house because I've said this before. Like when my wife's like, Hey, you know, you want just want to go to dinner tonight? That's a thing, right? So your family's like, let's go to dinner tonight. And then in my experience, um, I'm ready. <laughs> so like right now i'm ready to go uh, right now I, I just i could go uh right now where everybody somewhere in my family the kids or my wife there's always a process it seems like so i got this like 10 minute window before we leave and so i grab whatever guitar is next to me acoustic or not and i sit there and I just play guitar until somebody's like oh we're ready to go it's a great way to get in 10 minutes of playing time and just sit there and just uh, anytime i can you know or if uh you know if my wife's like hey the you know, the landscaper is going to be here in an hour and I have to pay him or something or do something. I'll just sit there and strum and play guitar by the door. Uh, just wait. Why not? It's a good way to get practice time. in. It's a good excuse because I'm just sitting there. I'm doing something, I guess. Uh, Davis CC PS4 says, do you suggest any GNL pickups to upgrade stock electronics? That's a great question. You know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to try to reach out to GNL, uh, cause I can't figure out, uh, unless I contact a dealer, how to buy some GNL pickups. But after this GNL right here and how much I love those pickups, I'm really curious, uh, to hear how much of the guitar is those pickups. I've been really impressed. Like I said, been very impressed with the GNL, um, by every, every, stretch of the imagination impressed with the quality of the build the quality of the electronics it's really good so here's a good one james cruz says dad mash paper is better because it's double-sided and uh you can see it you can see if you can find double-sided sandpaper very thin though oh dad mash paper i'll have to check that out it's either i, I don't know what it is or i maybe i know it by a different name but it doesn't sound like it very interesting. So, okay. Uh, hold on a second. <laughs> Dirt Racer wants to know if my GNL gents. Uh, it, it, I think the answer to that question is it gents if you know how to gent, right? If you can play gent, you can play gent on that. If I gave that to uh, Jared Dines or our Rob Scallon, uh, they'd gent on it fine, I'm sure. But me, not so much. So, uh, hey, Phil. Okay, this is PRS Rocker. Hey, I think you like PRS guitars. PRS Rocker says, hey, Phil, got an HSS Deluxe Strat. Well, that kind of can that that whole walked into that mess. And I love the next so much. I got a Nashville Tele Deluxe. Thoughts on the Made, uh, made in Mexico Deluxe line. Thanks from Chesapeake, uh, Virginia. Um, 
I, I, I've been, I've always been a fan of the made in Mexico deluxe line. Uh, I always think the made in Mexico premium made in Mexico guitars seem to always be better than the baseline model of American guitars to me. Uh, so yes, if I, if you're showing, uh, if somebody says, what do you think of the Mexican deluxe strat or the Nashville telly or uh, what's it, the roadhouse strat versus like the basic, you know, uh, American specials or American standard stratocasters, I think they get way more feature loaded the quality. It seems to be a better overall experience uh guitar so I, I i can see that for sure the problem has always been that uh fender is an anomaly with the made in mexico stuff that stuff is really good and to the point where even if somebody says oh i had a bad one or had a good one i find as many people tell me they've had a bad mexican made uh product as i have people tell me they have a bad american made product it doesn't seem like the numbers seem to be greater or worse on either side it's a it's a very nice proposition uh for fender they've really good good at keeping their quality consistent from 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 their two facilities whether it's be the the um yeah see martin um i'm just say martin martin says the baja tellies are awesome i i absolutely agree okay uh, i know somebody says wolf i know you're gonna hear my dogs barking all the time Because uh, somebody was saying, gent music on an oil can guitar. Sure, why not? Okay, what else? Yeah, see, uh, DP Mitch 82 says he just purchased a Mexican-made uh, P-Bass for $500 and love it. Can't go wrong with that. Chandler Motorsport says, who has the most overrated brand? Hmm. That's tough because that's one of those things where it's like when we talk about anything that's overrated or underrated, the idea would be in my definition, an overrated brand is a brand that has a better reputation than it deserves. Uh, that's the, that's the, I know that's not always everybody's uh, assessment of that, right? Overrated could be, it's, you know, it's everybody thinks it's better than it is. And it's, but I think it has more to me, overrated means it has more appreciate, you know, people like it more than probably what it deserves. Um, I don't know who's the most overrated brand. That's tough. Um, but I try to answer those type of questions because they're because they're tough. Because it's a nice conversation. Hopefully the live shows like this are conversations. The QA is not all just about questions and answers. It's about these conversations. I'm gonna give you my opinion. I can only get this isn't, you know, obviously I'm not speaking for anybody else, just me. Who what brand do I think is overrated? In other words, people like it more than what it deserves. Isn't it funny? The first thing that comes to my mind is Gibson. <laughs> I'm going to say Gibson is the most overrated brand. Um, and here's why. I I love my SG behind me. And uh, I love my Gibson Les Pauls. I like my Gibsons. I do. I really do. But I feel like it. the love for Gibson sometimes exceeds maybe the expectations of Gibson. So, And by that... By that logic, I would actually, in fairness to Gibson, also give them the same almost underrated award. I think they get more crap than they deserve. People tell me all the time Gibsons are horrible, yet my ex uh, you know, experience playing with the Gibsons is it's all of the cheap Gibsons that seem to be the problem. Like, you know, these $700 Gibsons, you know, everybody's like, oh, this Gibson has a crack, this has this. And I'm like, yeah, but it's always in the lower price market. But I I, I don't know. Again, none of this is a, is a hard, fast, you know, official policy or rule but it's just it's just a thought so i'm gonna say my overrated brand is also my underrated brand which is gibson that'll get you guys stirring i'm sure 
Oh, Jacob King says, I'd say Gibson is overrated and Court is underrated. Uh, well, and in all fairness to that, I think any brand that's an OEM, whether it be World Manufacturing or Court or Mir or Samic, uh, yeah, I think a lot of those companies are underrated because they're so they're so trusted. Court's a great example. They make in the new PRS uh, SE line is, a, and they're fantastic. They're making the GNL line. They make a lot of guitars. They make mostly Ibanezes. Yeah, I agree with that. That's an underrated brand because it's it's a perfect example about how powerful a brand is. That Court can make a guitar but we look at it as being cheap but yet that same factory the same employee uh made you know and, and that's the important part the term i just used it's cheap somebody if i if i pick up a court right now and i say what do you think of this court guitar somebody will go oh it's good for a cheap guitar but that same company same employee same factory probably same assembly line made a guitar that was worth fourteen hundred dollars street price same same parts same woods same everything so there you go I thought that was good. That was a good one. I like that. Uh, Jason Alberg says, what about Tokai, Tokai Les Pauls being underrated? Tokai guitars are fantastic. I want a Tokai Les Paul really, really bad. I've been looking one for one for about a year now. The issue is, is as you guys know, I like the guitars that weigh a certain amount and a lot of Tokai Les Pauls that I found. Either they don't have the weight specified and I email them, they don't tell me or they don't know. Uh, but no, Tokai is great. The only problem with Tokai now is, is there used to be a time where Tokai stuff, Tokai guitars were before they were like, they were hidden more of a hidden gem and the idea you could find good deals on them. Now they're kind of pricey, man. They're, some of them get good, really good money. So, and, and they're worth it, I think, but being worth the money, isn't the deal, right? Like it was a lot funner. Um, you know, who, who two brands I think, uh, and Kiesel is definitely a brand that's coming on the cusp of that. Tokai and Godan were two brands that I think you could get tons of guitar for short money, but now the prices on those guitars are more in line with their value. In other words, like, you know, I used to say, oh, you can get a Godin dirt cheap. That's fantastic. And you still can find them used. But a lot of times when you look at a Godin now, they're like $1,500 new. And you're like, oh yeah, I mean, it's good. And it's worth $1,500, but it was a lot cooler when it was $800 and it was worth, you know, $1,500. Same with Tokai. It was just cool when you find those kind of you know, hidden gems, you know, those guitars that were, that are fantastic that a lot of people didn't know about and you could get a deal on them. Uh, Kiesel was that way, right? Carvin was always a great deal versus what it was. And now Kiesel, if you watch, man, they're just inching up. So Jeff Kiesel is definitely fixed Carvin, <laughs> right? The, you know, remember when we used to complain that Carvin resale was horrible? You know, a lot of people, when I mentioned buying a Kiesel, a lot of people told me to buy one used. I've looked at used prices and they are holding very well. Every used guitar. There's a local used Kiesel at a guitar center here in town. And I, and I think it's like $1,700 used. Very cool. So I'm sure it's a deal versus new, but I bet you knew that guitar is probably 2000. So saving 300 bucks. Okay. Um, hold on. I got a pen question, but I also want to grab a couple non pen questions because there's 850 of us. Uh, hold on. Yeah. Matt, Bud is just talking about Tokai guitars as well. He's saying made a kill. Uh, Tokai made a killer Paisley finish SG. I remember that one uh, a few years back. Wacky stuff, but so cool. Oh yeah. Uh, I'll put some links to some Tokai stuff when we, when I rebroadcast this. Um, 
Um, as a question, Michael MC is asking me, and I don't understand the question, but I, like I said, I try to answer, uh, the questions that I think are, they're tougher and more interesting. It says, is my GNL, he's asking me about my GNL. Is your GNL a step up from the $600 or $800 Korean made guitars you enjoy? So, uh, that's a good question. So let me put it into this way, since this is fair, and I'll use the two guitars that are on the wall. Uh, I recently got the Solar, Oler England's uh, brand guitar that is made in Indonesia. I know you said Korea, but uh, you know, I sold my Korean made guitar and kept this Indonesian guitar. So that tells you about that. That guitar is a really good guitar. I would definitely give it an eight out of 10 in every which way. But the GNL I bought is definitely a 10 out of 10. There were, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's just a step, one step above. So yeah, is it a step up? It is. Now the price difference, is it justified? Mm, I don't know, man. I know that you can't argue that gets silly. You know, that you make yourself crazy thinking about what all this stuff's worth, but uh, to answer the general part of your question, which is, do I think the GNL is a step up from six to $800, uh, main Korea guitars? Yeah, it's a step up. Yeah. It's an improvement. Is it worth the difference? Cause it's, you know, I mean, it's double that. Is it, uh, is it double? I don't know. Think about this. I, I'm dealing with a hard video right now as we speak. I'll give you guys a little taste of it. Uh, Paul Reed Smith Guitars reached out to me and asked me if I would update my Korea versus America video because that did 600,000 views. And uh, the video is, uh, they liked it. They enjoyed it. They said, hey, it was a great video. And they said, but, you know, they didn't say this, but they alluded, hey, it's a little out of date now because we've changed a lot since then. And so they're asking me to do an update on it. And that's what I'm having trouble with with this video. Same, same thing. Even though it's the same video, it's really updated. I'm looking at a guitar, PRS guitar that is sub $1,000 to a guitar that is over $4,000, you know, and you know, is it, you know, again, you have to quantify, is it better? And then if so, is it worth the four times the price thing? Uh, it's so tough. So it's such crazy arguments. Sometimes that sucks the fun out of it. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to say, Hey, if you got four grand, enjoy yourself and buy a four grand guitar. If you have $400, enjoy yourself and buy a $400 guitar. I think that's, what's funny. What I will tell you is this, believe it or not, a kid out of nowhere, uh, one of my daughter's friends asked me this question. I thought it was great. And, uh, said, do you enjoy the more expensive guitars more, uh, the more, and I said, no, you know, it's funny. Every guitar I've ever owned through my life has brought me the same amount of joy, no matter what it costs. And every guitar, no matter what it costs, felt like the most expensive, expensive guitar I ever bought. When I was 20 and I bought a guitar, whatever price that was, that felt like the most expensive guitar in the world. And when I was 30, whatever guitar I bought then, even though it was more expensive than 20, didn't feel more expensive. It just felt like the more expensive, most expensive guitar in the world. And I enjoyed every one of them the same. It is funny how that works. <sighs> Aaron wants to know, Aaron Cram wants to know, what's what would a $4,000 Chinese-made guitar play like? Uh, it would play like uh, 40 guitars. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't because <laughs> it would, I don't know. That was a, that was fun. All right. Uh, let's go back to, uh, we got some pin questions. I let them get a little carried away and let me get to those. Um, next one. Oh, okay. Hold on a second. Uh, next one was from shaman. Hey, shaman shaman blue says what old Jackson compares to new Friedman's. Oh, you know, that's a great, uh, uh, to me, obviously an older, well, you know, cause they're both made by Grover Jackson. Although I would argue that the Freemans are probably more made by Grover Jackson than the old Jacksons. Cause 
Grover, you know, Freeman's is more like a custom shop with Grover Jackson running it and doing it. And Jackson guitars back then when it was owned by owned by Grover Jackson, it was more like a factory where Grover Jackson was probably running it. So the interesting kind of point of view that uh, Friedman is probably more at this point, more a Grover Jackson guitar than a Jackson guitar was for the most part. And, uh, you know, and obviously Grover Jackson did the G gj twos. So if you guys will put a link in there to somewhere on reverb, some GJ twos. If you're not familiar with that, Grover Jackson had that lineup too. That was what he was doing. I don't think he's doing that anymore. Somebody probably out there knows better. Uh, that's probably deal with it recently. Um, but uh, how do they compare? I think uh, if you want uh, what Friedman is putting out in guitars and quality, you got to look at American Jacksons and the most high-end Japanese Jacksons to get there. Uh, so yeah, that's a, that's a good good question. Bruce James says, upgraded my main Mexico Strat with new pickups uh, using your videos. Thank you. Uh, that's awesome. I hope so far we, we'll get into the question more. Maybe it'll go turn south on us. So you use Seymour Duncan's SSL five in the middle, SSL one reverse round in the middle. Oh, so we used the SSL five in the bridge, the reverse round SSL one in the middle, SSL one in the neck. What do you think of that arrangement? I think that's great. If I recall correctly, SSL five is a little hotter than the SSL one. So that sounds good. A little more kick in the bridge. I like to have always a little bit more output in the bridge than the neck and middle, especially on single coils, which is traditional. I think everybody likes that. That's a great set. I'm a real big fan of matching pickups. So Seymour is in a row or DiMaggio is in a row. That's a good, good lineup. I think he did a good choice. Uh, Alex wants to know, says, Hey, Phil, uh, new uh new lover of the channel thank you buddy it says i uh, bought a slick sl51 after i saw your vid plus used your uh, tips to fix the frets what is the best strat copy for three to 350 bucks best strat copy for 300 to 350 bucks hmm well i mean obviously uh you know in that price range you're looking at squires squires are great strat copies because they're actual strats those are great um that slick was obviously pretty good and i haven't tried the harley bittens i'm still talking to harley bitten uh i have some crazy fun videos for harley bitten trying to i'm trying to get that momentum going so you guys know um and i'm trying to think of what else i've tried that are strat copies it used to feel like there was a lot more companies making strat copies than there is now isn't that funny like it feels like most of the strat copies are in the high end so 303 you know what who makes a good 350 strat copy that i like Schechter makes a one that's a really good one. Those California series. Those are great. Uh, HK says, hey, Phil, how long, how low, wait, how low an action did Jimmy Page have on his acoustic guitar, especially on the song? Thank you. I don't know. Uh, thank you on those. Uh, so the question is, how low was Jimmy Page's action on his acoustic when he was doing when he was doing the song Thank You on Led Zeppelin 2, uh, which has fast runs. You know, I don't know. I've never read up anything about how he had his guitar set up, any of his guitars set up. So, But what I can tell you is you'll be surprised how many players, and I, I could be totally wrong. Uh, again, I know nothing about Jimmy Page's uh, setups on his guitars. But uh, I always notice, though, that when you do look and do some research, you find out their actions were never really low. Those guys just really could play so especially recording here's here's something to understand on recording um when you talk to a lot of session players what i noticed is a lot of session players jack the action up for the sound so in the studio they're playing they're actually it's the opposite of what you think the most they're setting the action lower they're going with smaller strings it's all about pleasure of playing in other words getting the guitar to play that's best live 
because it's over and over again. You're recreating and you're fatiguing your hands and you're tired and your hands are cold because you're in a cold climate now and there's all these things going on. We're in the studio. It's about the sound and capturing the sound. So I've seen where players will play high action to get the tone they want, even if it means doing three different parts and then chaining them together. Now, of course, I don't think Zeppelin did it that way. I'm sure it was all just multiple takes and then they picked the best one or maybe even their one take. I don't know. But I can tell you from what I've seen, most players uh, that are in the studio, and there's a lot of players that are, that they record in the studio that watch the channel and hang out with me on the channel. So, so they'll probably chime in on this too. I, I really see this a lot. They generally you don't go for the guitar that plays super easy in the recording. You go for the guitar that sounds the best. So I wouldn't be shocked if when he recorded that, if he was using an acoustic with medium to high action for the tone of it. So, yeah, there you go. It's a, some input. Uh, says Phil. Okay, so this is from Harmonicaster. Says Phil, search Google and YouTube for the Harmonicaster electric harmonica. It's a harmonica. Cool tone, plays loud without feedback, and compatible with effects. So it's a harmonica that you can plug into. It's electric harmonica. That, that's not the ones where you blow in like a stick, right? I'll have to find it. I'll put a link here. I'm curious. That sounds crazy enough to be check it, check it out. Uh, harmonica is a, definitely an instrument that guitar players relate to. There's a lot of guitar players that play harmonica. Um, it's a, it's a, definitely the, the, the guitar player's second instrument. Most guitar players, I always think of bass. Like most guitar players play bass as a second instrument, but I bet you there's more guitar players that play harmonica as a second instrument. When I think guitar, I always connect it to guitar players or guitar players and bass players, guitar players or guitar players and piano players or guitar players or guitar players and harmonica players. I would think that's the big three, right? Very rarely do you find those. He's a guitar player and a drummer, <laughs> right? He's a guitar player and a saxophone player. That's not the most common ones. Uh, Neil Conway says, please advise acoustic bridge buzz, nylon strings. Oh, okay. So the bridge is buzzing with your nylon strings. Um, well, uh, there's a couple things. First of all, uh, first thing you should do is take a little mirror and look inside the acoustic and make sure another bracing or anything is broken um, because it's not the bracing that would be vibrating. But of course, if any of the bracing has broken free, the reason that's important is this. And this is a great, a great uh, a question with a great uh, kind of, uh, uh, kind of, you know, story or whatever conversation. Um, a lot of times what people don't realize when a top when the acoustic guitar shrinks, the reason why we're concerned, why you, we want to humidify acoustics is that when they shrink, what happens is the braces, they shrink inside the acoustic, right? There's little braces and they shrink. And when they shrink, they pull. And if they can pull free of the top of the guitar, they'll break off and they'll kind of just stay there, but they're not really attached anymore. What happens is the weight of the tension of the strings is pulling on the top and then the top moves and lifts. And that's why sometimes you get that little, that little bubble, uh, on, on the top of the guitar. And then the bridge is, uh, you know, it so thick that it doesn't want to bend and there's all kinds of stuff that starts happening underneath. So the first thing you should do, in fact, so you know, it's a good tip for everybody. When you're buying used acoustics or even new acoustics, but especially used acoustics, you should take your phone and uh, turn on the camera and record and stick your phone in the sound hole and look around inside the acoustic like a mirror if you don't have a mirror of course and then look back and watch the playback and see if there's anything in there that has been damaged because here's why i say that a lot of times when you see an ac acoustic guitar have a crack in the top you know when they crack in the top um 90 of the time you see the crack in the top of the guitar the bracing had broke off first 
because again, the bracing was holding the, the tension of the strings. When it breaks free, now the tension is stuck onto the top of the guitar and the top starts buckling and then it snaps. So there's a reason why you want to always inspect the inside of the guitar first on an acoustic guitar. The problems start there, right? It's like, you know, just like a home, right? Foundation problems. Well, then you're going to have other problems, right? Your foundation sinks, you're going to have cracks in your walls. You don't look at the cracks in the walls and go, oh, the cracks come from the wall. The cracks come from the sinking. Same thing with an acoustic guitar. There is how you uh, you want to do that. Uh, Scott wants to know, Scott Emmy 50 says, Phil, did you review a, a Squire Contemporary Strat? I did. Uh, yeah, there's a video of me re reviewing that. I have it. It's a red one. I still have it. So there you go. <laughs> that was an easy question. I just want to answer that one because that was easy. Uh, Brad Hewitt says, Phil, on the Fishman Fluence issues on the Hangout, he's talking about the Hangout we were talking about the other night on, uh, on, uh, on the um, a patron. Fishman is sending uh, my tech new pots, just as you predicted. Yeah, I like I said, Brad, I you know, uh, bad potentiometers, 25. In fact, so you know, Brad, me and Lawrence at lunch, that was a conversation we had today. I was talking about uh, that conversation we had. So you guys know what happened was he was having a bad issue where the tone control, no matter what they did, wouldn't work. And they were wiring up correctly on Fishman Fluence. And he was saying that Fishman Fluence makes great stuff. And I said, yeah, I agree. So does EMG, but they all send you the same cheap 25K potentiometers that have problems. The 25K pots seem to always have uh, problems. Oh, there you go. Uh, Jeff Harper says, oh, so I'm glad, um, I'm sad, Brad, that you're having the problem, but I'm glad that they're, they're finding a fix for it. So awesome. Uh, Jeff says, have you given any thought on getting and trying an artist tweed tone 20 amp from Australia? They retail for 379 us dollars. Huh? I will Google it and uh, put a link in the description down below. That's one of those things, guys, you want when you watch the rebroadcast and you go to the uh, index, when I index it, click the uh, go down to that question, this question, and then you can click the link to it and tell me if that's something you'd like me to review. I, I'm sure I'd check it out. Um, uh, you know, I tend to uh, review the stuff I like and then, it, but sometimes when you guys have a lot of requests, I, I, I figure, well, that's something we're all interested in. Let's do it. So, um, uh, James Shackelford says, forgot to mention, I bought, uh, bought an orange wood guitar after watching your video. Oh, sweet. You know what? I really like that orange wood guitar. Uh, I was really impressed with it. In fact, my buddy Jay, uh, who I've been friends with for, I don't know, long time. It's one of those things where I'm like two years. I'm like maybe 20 years. <laughs> it's funny how two years feels like 20 feels like two and and uh he's learning to play guitar and that's what I, I got him he asked me what to get he was telling me all these suggestions that he got and i said no get the orangewood so he's learning guitar on the orangewood right now so i was really impressed uh neil conway just said thanks uh you're welcome neil i uh i hope uh that gave you some insight if not we can figure it out that's uh definitely so you know some of the the new repair videos i worked on were on the acoustics and those issues like that Ice Pick 19 says, is $900 a good price? The dog's is barking. Uh, Ice Pick 19 says, is $900 a good price for a 2012 Les Paul Silverburst with case? Hey, I thought we just did this question. This is, a this is uh, well, $900 is a good price because I think we just talked about a Studio Silverburst for $1,000. So I'm going to say nine is $100 better than that deal. So, and I always think you should buy a guitar for some reason. So I say yes. And Brian Quackenbush just did a super chat for no reason. Let's grab a non-super chat question. 
Oh, so uh, Kentucky Jim says, Warner says, Shane from In the Blues has done a review of the artist tweet. I will put that in that, uh, in that, when I index it, I'll put a link to Shane's video. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, cause I'm curious, like I said, and I'll watch his video cause I, I watch a lot of Shane's videos, so I'll watch it. Um, oh, unfreaking believable says, are you going to the Ingve show at the marquee? Uh, the marquee is a local venue here. I wasn't planning on it. I didn't even know he was coming. Um, I don't know. That's a, that's a, I don't know. I have, now that you told me, I'll have to look into it, see when it is. Uh, okay. Last, let's talk about the, we got all the subjects we talked about and let's see if there's one last question we can hit. Uh, Jose says, Phil, taxes are paid now from online dealers to California and most states, Sweetwater, AMS, and other online dealers since April 1st. Yep. That's the way I understand it too. Uh, sales tax and stuff. Yep. It's the inevitability right? Taxes are inevitability. <laughs> D DP Mitch 82 says, Phil, will you, will you grow a mustache for your faithful viewers? Uh, I don't know if I can. I have a baby face. I've always had this, like I have a, yes, I don't grow facial hair. I don't think anything connects, but more importantly, my wife doesn't like it. So it would never happen. <laughs> so, so she, she's uh, you know, Happy wife, happy life, man. She likes, uh, she doesn't like a mustache. And then we'll end on just quick. I'll do rapid fire, a couple quick rapid fire questions real quick. Uh, Johnny uh, Buggin' Face Russell says, what is my favorite venue to see bands? That's easy. The smallest venue I can. I love intimate venues way more than big concerts or bigger venues. So to me, if I can see a band in a 400 place or 300 person place thing, that's better than anything else. And then so on and so on. I like it. I like it when it's just always more intimate with the band. In fact, I sometimes uh, I would rather see a local band in a small venue than a big band in a big venue if I can. So it's usually, if I go to a big venue, it's just because I really like the band, but never because of the venue. So I like that intimate, uh, intimate kind of feel. Um, the, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, this is a ho horribly hard, impossible question. The Asian, the Asian redneck says, what is the best band I've ever seen live? Foxy Shazam. See, it wasn't that hard. Foxy Shazam is the first best uh, band I've ever seen live. Uh, if you don't know who Foxy Shazam is, uh, since the movie Shazam's coming out today or whatever, it's kind of worked out that way. Foxy Shazam is like, you know how Greta Van Fleet is like this uh, Led Zeppelin vibe band? Foxy Shazam is like a queen kind of band. And uh, man, they are just, I love the band. And they were alive something amazing to see because it was 100% them. There's no pyrotechnics. There was no big show. They opened for the band slash, you know, slashes slash the guitar player slash. And they were given like this, the front of the stage, you know, where they got to, they got to actually set up in front of all the rig that slash has. And, uh, man, just amazing. I, 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 to this day, that could go on for 20 minutes telling you all the stuff I thought was impressive about that band. So I will put a link to some of their music, uh, Foxy's Zam. So like I said, if you dig queen, I can't imagine you wouldn't dig them. They're uh, over the top crazy. They got a, a trumpet player who's fantastic, it's, uh, which is just right. You're already crazy, right? A queen and a trumpet player. There you go. Um, 
Uh, Donald Fisher says, do you have a silver sky on the wall yet? I don't. They're all strats. Um, I don't. In fact, I, I, hmm, I don't have one. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention I keep thinking about them. You know what I mean? I, you know, the Silver Sky was a guitar I had no interest in when it came out. And then over time, you're just like, hmm, <laughs> I like strats. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, Steve Long, uh, oh, uh, okay, hold on. So Ramon wants to know what uh, what pots are good are good uh, for nice swells on a Tele Squire. Yeah, if you want get low friction potentiometers, you can get them from you can get the Ingve Malmsteen ones, which are from. Uh, Seymour Duncan. You can get Bourne's potentiometers, zero friction potentiometers, which I believe are all the same. I think they're all repackaged Bourne's ones. But so, you know, Eddie Van Halen, they also sell a low friction potentiometer of the EVH brand. But again, I believe it's a Bourne's potentiometer. Either way, go with Bourne's uh, zero friction for those swells. I, I love that. It's just really smooth and easy to, to operate them with your pinky because usually when you're swells, that's what you want to do. You kind of just roll it back and forth using the side of your hand. So give that a try, a try Ramon. Um, and I'll try to put a link in the description when I redo this with uh, with a where to get a product like that. Steve Long said, thoughts on the Hardlock, Hardlock Kings guitar? Simple. I thought, you know, that's one of those inexpensive brands that you see all the time and everybody talks about it. And I thought, let's do a review of it. And what happened was I went online and watched a bunch of reviews to see, okay, what kind of guitar should I get? And almost all the reviews are about people talking about either how they have issues with them or what they're doing to modify them. So I was a little shocked on that. It seemed like it wasn't a product that, uh, it seemed like it's a $129 guitar for a reason. Anyone has a different experience? Than I'd love to hear that. But, uh, you know, when you see eight out of 10 people say it wasn't a great guitar, it's hard to get faith in that instrument. Uh, but you never know. And then Jordan Wolf says, uh, Patreon hangout was great. Thanks for that. You're welcome, Jordan. Thanks for joining us the other night. It says, I have a Squire Vintage Modified 72 Tele Thin Line. What do you think of those? And do you have any upgrade suggestions? Uh, well, the uh, when I did the five Squires, I think are as good as uh, uh, Fenders now or better than Fenders. Uh, that was uh, one of the ones. Now, you probably don't have the newest version of it, but the Fender Vintage Modified 72 Tele uh, thin line is a uh, really good guitar. I like it. I like the pickups in that guitar. If I was going to do upgrades to that guitar, the only upgrades I would consider is getting some locking keys. Cause I think those are better and upgrading that nut to a bone nut or to a graph tech nut. I think uh, just improving the nut on the guitar would make a big difference in the sound and the way it, uh, it plays and feels. Uh, but other than that, the bridge seems good. Everything component wise seems fine. And, um, Again, you can replace out the output jack and the potentiometers, all that stuff. Uh, and that's a great place to start. Like I said, if you're talking about doing the work yourself, I definitely think for electronics, replace out the potentiometers and the output jack at first. Great way to start learning electronics and working on that stuff. If you're going to think about doing modification repairs, upgrade those tuners. Because again, simple modification you could do yourself. Don't need to take it to a, a luthier or a repair guy. You can just do that your, you know, with your own kind of just experience of a couple of videos and the stuff and start that way. Um, and, uh, and then go from there. Uh, Maddie, Maddie K USA says, Phil, what do you think about events like Clapton's Crossroads festival? I'm going, um, I've never been, but I've watched the videos, love the videos. Uh, they're in New York or something, right? It's on the East coast. So that's my issue. Obviously I'd have to fly there and do that stuff. So so there you go. Uh, so I love it. I love the Crossroads Fe festival. I think I've seen. I don't know how many there's been, but I've seen a ton of them. 
uh, the one with the, uh, I mean, I've seen the one with John Mayer, right? They're, they're really great. And on that note, I think we'll cut it. I'm going to say a real big thank you. Obviously, thank you so much, not only for everybody hung out this uh, episode and everybody who hung out this week with a patron, but all the kind of all the questions and the feedback and and uh, you guys are awesome. And I'm just going to do a quick thank you to the uh, to the uh, the tier uh, patrons that make the live shows happen. I appreciate them. And I want to say thank you real quick to Greg Peterson, Dennis Prescott, Larry Colkin, Chris from New Mexico, Greg Parker, Lonnie Hoke. Joseph McCarthy, Lawrence Petros, Anthony Desposito, Brian Stewart, Andrew Good, Kermit Jackson, Tim Camacho, Paul Ostreich, Michael Lidner, Jonathan Pickering, Pick, Bob Pickwode, uh, Pedal Pal Effects, Chuck Keen, Chris at the Guitar Pit, which is also Chris Glaze, uh, Jeff Howes, Zachary Rowe, Michael Newman, Bruce in the one, whoa, Bruce is, is now... What is it? I'm going to say Bruce Garris because it's his band, but I got a different list this time. Uh, we Back Tracks, uh, John Jax, Justin Mabe, and David Madison, to name a few. And uh, I feel like, oh, I missed some. <laughs> I was going to say, how did I miss some? Okay, here we go. James Biles, Steve Ho Hogan, Derek Miller, Gene Graham, Michael Mooney, Alizar, see, I have a different list today because I'm actually using it from the patron list. And so your names are different on this list than on our website, which is why I wanted to do that. Alizadar, Alizar, see, I like, I think you guys make it easier for me on the other list. Bruce Collins, Aaron Kamecker, Brian Quackenbush, Andy Dennis, Gary Phillips, Sam Oram, Chief Squatch. It's Chief Squatch. I think that's why I'm saying it right. Chief Squatch. Uh, and uh, John Russell, Muse guitarist, Dave R. Guitars, Bob Crosley, Todd Flowers, Tim Farnsworth, Zesty Basil Pizza. And that's how I did it. That's why it was out of order today. See, you get used to a certain order and then it goes wacky on you. Thank you, everyone and everyone I listed. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys have an awesome weekend. Thank you guys so much. And until next week, know your gear. <laughs>